right through that. We, uh, I spent the last eight days down in Atlanta, Georgia with Steve and Matt, and uh, it was definitely an experience, and I am glad to be back home, glad to be back with my family, um, and glad to be back here able to preach. I think it's almost been two months since I preached here. I think it was September was the last time I preached. But uh, it was a very interesting experience because I haven't traveled much. I have grown up in Newfoundland. I've spent maybe a week in Toronto and maybe two weeks in Edmonton, Alberta. You know, some family vacations, Nova Scotia, and that's it. Oh, no, wait, we've gone to Orlando like once or twice, but that's like the beach, basically. So I didn't get to see much culture there. Uh, but it, it was very interesting, and I'm going to this for a reason, but it was very interesting. I had my, my eyes open to a lot of things. Uh, it was a whole new world. Um, actually, the lyrics to that song were going through my mind an awful lot as we were down in uh, Georgia. And I didn't sing them out loud for the sake of Matt and Steve's ears, but uh, they were going through my head a whole lot because it was a whole new world. Um, for one thing, the county that we were in, Clayton County, it was only 12% white. Uh, so that was an interesting experience, actually being, feeling what it was, getting, I guess, some semblance of what it was like to be a minority. Uh, it was very, very interesting. Uh, I had my eyes open to a few things, and uh, it was a great experience overall. I'm, you know, I just want to thank FBC, Jonesboro, and the Zen Network. They treated us fantastically. But uh, no matter how different we were, there was a sense of unity, especially when we gathered on a Sunday, and as we spent more time during the week with Lanny Lowe, who is the missions pastors of First Baptist Church, Jonesboro. There's a real sense of unity, and I'll get into that later. But we're only two chapters into Galatians, and I feel like things have gotten pretty heavy pretty quick. When David uh, spoke in his sermon, he mentioned that there was no real greeting section there in this letter, and Paul kind of dives right into it. Paul is dealing with a serious matter here in Galatians, and uh, just to remind us before we get into this, and Matt started off our sermon series with his message on the gospel is divine and salvation is only through Christ. And then we had Dave. Dave showed us that the gospel is of utmost importance. And then last Sunday, Curtis told us that the gospel has the power to transform and it's from God. Now this morning we're going to do Galatians 2 verses 1 to 10. And we're going to continue with Paul's narrative, his story of his testimony of how he came to faith and how he's long he's been preaching. And I want you to know this morning that the gospel unites us and gives us freedom in Christ. And most of us would immediately shake our head to that. You know, you have freedom in Christ. Yeah, no, that's great. I like that. We, we want to be unified. We want to, be, we want to have unity here. But what does that mean and what does that look like? And I hope you have some idea of that after this sermon this morning. But now, there are a few issues with this passage. And before we get into this, I want us to understand what Paul says in chapter 1 before we get into chapter 2. Like I say, he's come straight out of the gate and he's defending his gospel to the, to the Galatians. He's challenging them. How quick, I'm surprised at how quick you turn from the gospel that I preached to you. And he goes into his testimony where he received his gospel. He received it from Jesus directly. Which shows that the gospel has ultimate authority. I mean, this is, explains why Paul is so frustrated and probably even angry at times because this has come straight from Jesus and it's being twisted, it's being changed. It's no longer the same gospel that he's preached that came directly from Jesus. And see, there's no good news in this kind of message. 
because the message that's outside of the gospel of grace that Paul is preaching would give you a false sense of security, a false sense of salvation. Because you're trusting in anything else, something else other than the grace of God and what Jesus offers us. We start in verse 2, and Paul says, then 14 years later, he makes another journey to Jerusalem, and he presents his gospel there. But he says something that is kind of important. He says he wants to make sure that he wasn't running in vain in preaching the gospel. Now, when Paul uses this usually, he means, you know, there may have been some sort of mistake. We don't want to make, make a mistake. We want to do something in vain. If you think about running a race, you could run the race as hard as you can. You could win, come to the end, and then go to the hand you the trophy or whatever, and you realize maybe you haven't registered for the race properly. You've run in vain. It's like maybe just deciding, hey, I'm going to run an Tele 10 today, you know, a few weeks back. And you just hop in, you keep running, and let's say you happen to win, but it's in vain. You get nothing from it. And you could win every race like that. And that's, that, that's, kind, of, it's a, that's kind of what we think of when Paul says, am I running in vain? Am I doing something wrong here? But I don't think that's the case at all, because as we see in verse 1, in chapter, chapter 1 story, Paul is saying, I have absolute belief and confidence in this gospel. Galatians 1, 11 to 12 says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So coming out of chapter 1 into chapter 2, there's no reason why Paul would think his gospel was wrong. Or what, there was an error there. So why does he say, to be sure I was running in vain? Why does he present the gospel here? I don't think Paul thinks he had to have the you know, authority of the apostles in Jerusalem. He needed their agreement on his gospel. I mean, it helps his case in the situation. But most commentators believe that what Paul meant was that if the apostles in Jerusalem were actually preaching a different gospel, then that could undo all the work that they had done in the last 14 years. He didn't intend on backing down on what he was preaching, but wanted to be sure that their efforts wouldn't be in vain should a different gospel reach their churches which is kind of the situation they find themselves in now. The Galatians have turned to a different gospel. So in giving this testimony, in this narrative that Paul goes into, he's giving you the evidence for the gospel itself, for why this is a true gospel, why we need to believe this, and why we should not turn away from this. He recounts what happens in Jerusalem, starting in verse 3, and he states that even Titus wasn't compelled to be circumcised. And this is our first introduction to circumcision here and it seems to kind of come out of nowhere but what paul is doing here is he's giving you the outcome of his meeting with jerusalem first and he's saying listen even titus wasn't compelled to be circumcised because the judaizers the people that were preaching a different gospel they were saying that gentiles had to be circumcised along with faith in jesus in order to be truly saved but titus titus represented everything these people should have been against. He was a man. He was a Greek. He was a believer, uncircumcised, preaching the gospel. If they were right, and when he went to Jerusalem, he should have been circumcised. But the leaders saw no reason to, to have him circumcised. They saw no reason for that. And whoever these false or pseudo-believers were, Paul did not view them as true believers at all but instead saw the freedom of the gospel at risk because of their demands. And here's my first point this morning. 
The gospel sets us free from our own efforts. Okay, the gospel sets us free from our own efforts. And we can see this in Galatians 2, verses 4 to 5. It says, Yet because of false brothers who secretly brought, who, who secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield into submission for even a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So take, take note there. They spied out our freedom in Christ so that it might bring us into slavery. And how would they do that? It's through circumcision, which is an act on our own accord. It was something of our own effort. And they were saying, you need to bring this into the gospel. You need to have something of your own effort to bring into this. But in fact, the gospel frees us from our own efforts to try and meet God, to try and please God, and to earn more of his favor. They were adding an extra condition to salvation specifically for Gentiles, bringing them under the law of Moses and ignoring the grace of the gospel. And this freedom that we have in Christ that was at risk of being stolen from us, it's not freedom to go and do whatever we want. It's freedom from the law, freedom from being a slave to sin, freedom from the eternal death and separation from God that sin brings with it, and it's freedom from trying to do something on our own that we just can't do. We're not given freedom to sleep with whoever we want and say, okay, God will forgive me, whether it be your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, whatever. And we're not given freedom to go and get drunk all the time and say, oh, God will forgive me of that. We're not given freedom to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ poorly or to remove ourselves from the life of the church and still claim to follow Jesus. You can't love Jesus and not his bride, the church. We're not free to do that. But the freedom we are given is from our own efforts to earn our salvation or to appear more righteous in God's eyes, as if we could ever earn more of his favor or be more saved than we are right now. There is no other requirement for salvation except to turn from our sin to Jesus and believe he is the Son of God. We're not required to be circumcised or to add anything else to the gospel in order to be saved. When you come to Christ, everything about you changes. He makes you alive spiritually. You're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Before following Jesus, we're dead in our sins, slaves to our sinful natures and desires, but coming to him means your desires are no longer of your sinful nature, but come directly from him. You're a new creation, born in him, made anew. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And then there's the fruit of the Spirit, which is unsurprisingly in the book of Galatians. In chapter 5, there's a reason it's there. This is not of our own doing. When you, when you come to Christ, you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the things that are evidence of our faith and not of our own efforts, not of our own doing. 
adding anything else to the gospel is wrong. Thinking we can earn more God's favor is wrong. Whether it be a condition for salvation or conditions on how saved you are measuring, well, I'm more of a Christian than they are. It's wrong. That's not the gospel. And what this means is that you don't have to worry about missing your prayers missing or missing your sins at night when you pray to God. I've been there as a kid, wondering if I missed any of my sins and if Jesus came again and what would happen to me. Terrified, absolutely terrified. But we don't have to worry about that. Why? Because they've already been paid for. And it means that you don't think that just by avoiding movies over PG-13 or avoiding drinking, it makes you a better Christian. Because it doesn't. The only good thing about us is the difference that God has made in us through the Holy Spirit. That's it. Nothing of my own efforts. We don't have to try and earn God's favor or try to be more saved. We never earned it or deserved God's favor in the first place. We have freedom in Christ from our own efforts and trying to make ourselves right with God whether it be when you first come to him in faith, when you mess up and you feel like somehow you've got to come back to God with a big old resume sheet of God, look what I've done, you've, I can be good in your eyes now. That's not it. There's nothing about our salvation that has our own doing. So why do we think we have to keep it sometimes? That's on us to keep it. We're saved by God's grace, by faith in Christ. Our suits our behaviors, our efforts, none of these things make us look better in God's eyes. And do you know why that is? Because when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ in us. So why in the world do we think that sometimes we can offer something better than that? Why do we feel like sometimes our efforts had to be good enough for God when he already sees his son when he looks at us? What could be better than that? But we also need to be aware of holding people to standards that aren't a part of the gospel. We aren't free to do absolutely everything, no. But I'm also not free to hold my own standards against someone else. As I mentioned before, we took some time down in Georgia, in Atlanta. And it's, like I said, it's a whole new world. There's so many things I could get into about how different it is. And when we were praying, Pastor Steve mentioned briefly about how he's been, I believe it was five different countries, Steve? Yeah. And how different the expressions of worship even were in those five countries. Okay, and that could make some of us here probably feel very uncomfortable sometimes how people worship. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Doesn't mean that our standard, how Calvary does church, is the only way to do church. But it also doesn't mean that because I don't have a social drink, that no one else should have a social drink. It doesn't mean that because I don't watch these TV shows that it makes me a better Christian than someone who does. But that goes, that goes both ways. If I were to enjoy a social drink, it doesn't mean I can look down on someone who doesn't. Listen, none of our efforts make us any better. Jesus is the only thing that saves us. It's what God sees, his righteousness in us when he looks at us. Despite the culture, 
despite cultural differences, what may or may not make us uncomfortable when we go somewhere new. There's unity in the gospel. There's a freedom to worship Christ. No matter how different it was, there's a sense of unity with the believers down in Jonesboro when we went there on Sunday. We didn't have to sing the same way. We didn't have to worship the same way. We didn't have to sing the same songs. There's a lot of songs they sang. I wasn't really sure what they were. But we were united in Christ. It's not on us to earn God's favor. We can't be good enough to get into heaven. And we're in this together as brothers and sisters. Moving past verse 5, Paul goes back into his trip in Jerusalem. And he starts finishing his story about his trip and what, what, what happens after he presented his gospel there. He talks about the apostles or the pillars of the church and that they added nothing to his gospel. And all this information is putting Judaizers in their place because they would say that, no, you have to add something to the gospel. But even the apostles in Jerusalem said, no, you're preaching the right gospel. They added nothing to, to Paul. And this brings me to my second point, that the gospel unites all peoples. So we are free in Christ, we are free from our own efforts, and we are united in the gospel. Paul isn't being passive when he's talking about the other apostles here. If you look from verses 6 to 9, and he says, you know, it doesn't matter to me what they once were. He just doesn't want them to be lifted up on a pedestal, elevated above everyone else. Because when we all stand before Christ, we're all sinners in need of saving. Every single one of us. There is no different gospel for different people, different ethnicities, which is what was being claimed here. doesn't matter what you bring to the table. doesn't matter what your past was. It's the same gospel, the same grace. The same grace that saves the Jew, saves the Gentile. The same grace that saves Adam Diamond, saves a convicted killer who murders his family. We need the same grace. There's no difference. We are united no matter where we come from, no matter what we bring to the table, no matter how much baggage you may think you have, because it's all brought before Jesus and we all need saving. All of our differences, our histories, to brought underneath the gospel and Jesus changes us. Not one of us who has come to faith in Jesus has left without being changed. We've all been changed by the gospel, transformed. We're all sinners who stand before a holy God condemned in our sins and need a saving grace of God's only son, Jesus, who died in our place that we might know him and be saved. You want equality? There it is. We're all sinners in need of saving, and Jesus makes that difference. There's equality. We're brothers and sisters in faith, and we're a family, a community of believers. We're the body of Christ working together for the greater mission of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, 
slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Not one of us has come to Jesus without needing to be changed. We're united in that, united in our faith. For all called to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, our desires, our selfishness, our pride, our anger, and follow Jesus. To lay it down at his feet. And we can also see this point when the apostles give Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. You look down in verse 9, it says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They were on equal ground, but they were also in this together. It can be very easy to think of how this could have been wrong if the disciples had decided, no, we were the ones that walked with Jesus. We're the ones that are going to do this. This is what we want now. Things could have been very different. They could have been very threatened by Paul and Barnabas, but no, they were working together. They were in this together. It was about mission and not preference. And just as the right hand of fellowship was extended to Paul and Barnabas to preach among the Gentiles, to work together for that greater mission, we need to be thinking, are we seeking the mission of the gospel to extend God's kingdom? Or are we seeking our own desires? Is this what's better? Is this what's best for the mission? For the church or my personal mission? Because the church, when I'm mission for the gospel, can do far more when it's on mission for just me. And listen, it's right there in the text. Because the Judaizers were offering something else. It was about their agenda and what they wanted. But we're all brought together underneath the gospel and it's what Jesus wants. It's what God wants. It doesn't matter if our cultures are different. It doesn't matter if we're down in the south and me and Steve are talking about making gravy and Lanny is perplexed because apparently women do it more often down there. But we're very proud about the gravy we make. But no, honestly, these are differences and they're cultural, but none of that matters. It doesn't matter what we want. It matters what God wants. And that we're united in that. And listen, we're united on mission together with FBC Jonesboro. Literally, they support Kilbride Community Church. They support church planting here in Newfoundland. Despite any differences we may have. Because we're together. We're united. It's Jesus that draws us together. It's a gospel that unites us. And the final verse in this passage, verse 10 it just shows how the gospel works itself out. That the only thing the disciples asked was that Paul and Barnabas would remember the poor, something they were all too eager to do. And listen, if we're saved, if we're sinners in need of saving, if this is true, and that God loved us before we ever loved him, then how can we turn a blind eye to suffering from the marginalized around us, especially if they're also brothers and sisters in the faith? This is the gospel. This is freedom, unity, mission. The dictionary defines unity as a whole or totality as combining all of its parts into one. All, even all these different parts here in Calvary into one, one body for the sake of the gospel. On mission for that very same gospel that saved us. How many of you have ever taken part in a three-legged race? Anyone? 
a few. So, you know, when you team up with someone, your middle legs are tied together and you have to work together. And you race across a field or a room. And let me tell you, if my brother was here, we would beat all of you. Because if you don't know, I have an identical twin brother and we are in sync. Okay, so like we, we know how each other thinks. We know how we're going to react mostly the same way to the same things. We're very similar. And in my, usually in when we race, while everyone else is trying to sink, you know, you're counting your steps, you're trying to get a rhythm, it just comes naturally. We're already walking, we're already in that rhythm, we're far ahead of most people. And I like to think that's not, that should be an application here. Because if I were to put what I wanted ahead of my brother, we would probably fall flat on our faces. We wouldn't be very good at that race. It would be another instance of running in vain because I'm putting myself above what's best for my brother or for the team as a whole. And this is something that we should aim for, is working together. It's not a competition between my goals or yours, my dreams, my desires, between any of yours, because at the end of the day, they all sit before Christ. I'll leave you with this this morning. Ecclesiastes 4, chapter 9 to 12. Just two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We're united together. We're a body. We're free in Christ to worship him, free from trying to earn his favor on our own, and we can work freely for him together. We need to submit our dreams and desires to God and seek his way, and this is bigger than just one church. I've experienced this while starting you know, our downtown church plant. Matt has experienced this with Kilbride Community Church. I mean, we started at Alpha, seven weeks in, one person comes out, and then pandemic hits. I don't think that's how any of us thought that Kilbride Community Church would get started. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that I really think it was God's way of saying, this is your, this is your way to start a church, let me show you my way. Because it's God that brought those people to Matt and to Dave. And what about Calvary? A lot of you have been here from the beginning. How have things turned out? how you thought they would go, but then how has God stepped in and showed you how he wants them to go? So let's seek unity in Christ in order to see the gospel preached in our city. Let's seek unity here in Calvary, submitting to Jesus, serving one another, remembering the poor. Remember our freedom in Christ, that we're not trying to reach God or please him on our own. Let's aim for unity and gospel mission to see souls transform in churches across this city. And let me leave you with one question this morning. I want you to ask yourself, are you asking where God is, are you seeking where God is leading us as a whole? Or are you asking where you think the church should go? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word this morning. As challenging as it may be, may it be a reminder that we are free to seek you. Free 
to not be under burden to try and impress you, to try and earn more of your favor, God, as if we could be more saved or more loved than we are now by you. Lord, may we be united as a body of believers in Calvary and Kilbride Community Church and those who come out to downtown Community Church for our Bible study. Father, we are in this together for you. May we submit ourselves to you, to your guidance, to the leading of your Holy Spirit, O Lord. May we see your will done in our lives in Calvary and our church plants, O God. May they give you glory, O Lord, in where they find themselves and the season they're in, O God. May we seek you. And may we truly ask ourselves, truly and humbly, are we seeking what we want or are we seeking what you want? Because it can be hard sometimes to bring ourselves down to you, O God, and to give you our own dreams, our desires, and everything we have. But Lord, I pray that you would unite us as a body of believers who are under the gospel, who all need the same grace, and we're all saved by the same Lord. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.